Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tracy, and we're talking today about dissociation in all its forms and how we all do it and the degree to which we do it and how it can be helpful and unhelpful. Right. So we want to take a kind of wide angle lens to this thing that we call dissociation. I call it going into a trance. Um, because it's more than one thing, and it's probably more than what you think. And we do it all the time. We do it every day. So as we talk about taking better and better care of ourselves as helpers and as um, mental health professionals and health professionals of all kinds, um, finding meaning in our lives and um, just just caring for ourselves as much as we care for our clients and our patients, we have to talk about being more present in the moment. And if you think we're talking about dissociation as just pathology or disorder, we want to expand the frame on it and show you how it happens in big and small ways all the time. But as helpers and therapists, our job is to do the personal work on ourselves our trauma work so that we can be grounding uh, that grounding mooring rock of support and wisdom for our clients. So we need to know when we go into trance states or dissociate and why we do. And we need ways to orient and ground ourselves in order to be as present in the moment as we can be for both ourselves and the people we serve. Right. And Tracy, you and I have been talking about trance and dissociation for a long time. And we've been talking about what it means exactly and what all behaviors um, in our own lives we recognize as trance or dissociation. Um, and the feel, the feeling the tug toward being dissociated or ungrounding, ungrounded and how that comes from lots of different places. Um, and so how it takes deliberate focus to stay in the present moment. It's not, it's not just a given that we're in the present moment. We really have to focus because our culture, our world, pulls and tugs at us with a lot of different numbing, distracting elements that keep us out of the present moment. Yes. And since my background is not in psychology, I've been trying to figure out dissociative behaviors in myself and the people I work with in my practice as a massage therapist. In a moment, we'll be joined by our colleague, Dr. Chris Carver, a therapist in private practice here in Springfield, Missouri, an associate professor of mental health counseling at Bellevue University, and the host of his own podcast, Courage to Be, which you can find at couragetobe.com. Chris has expertise in dissociative states and understands them from a broader, even spiritual perspective. And he's a drummer in two very active bands, The Meanwhile and The Broken Binding. Yeah. So before we welcome our guest, Let's read some serious poetry. Okay. Do you want to go first or me? <laughs> I think you should go first since you have a longer one. Okay. This is a, a limerick about a, a, cruise, a Pilates class I took on a cruise ship. I went, I went on a cruise looking for hotties and decided to do some Pilates. The instructor was naive as the boat began to heave and so few of us had fit bodies. So storms blew in from the west. The ocean was giving us a test. Our butts in the air gave us quite a scare, and I thought I might need a life vest. It looked like we all had been drinking. It felt like the cruise ship was sinking. We weren't really drunk when we heard the kerplunk, 
class dismissed is what I was thinking. But the teacher said, roll like a ball. One woman rolled into the wall. Another cried, oh, Lord, and fell overboard. And I dove into the squall. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> okay, so here's mine. This is a haiku. So this is kind of experimental. I zone out a lot and sometimes get caught. It's a habit of my brain. Then I say, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you for awesome. indulging us. We find that the writing of, of silly poetry is an antidote to dissociation. So without further ado, welcome Dr. Chris Carver. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Yes, welcome. Yeah, it is a pleasure to be here. So I, I'm really excited to talk to you about dissociation. Chris, um, you you are one of the deep thinkers in my life. I, I really enjoy talking to you about lots of things. Um, but well, so you. before we, we start with dissociation, tell us your story. How did you come to be a therapist and a counselor educator? Sure. Well, I will try to keep it brief. I had a colleague say the other day that if you put academics in a room, it'll take them 45 minutes to introduce themselves. Um, <laughs> so um, also, real quick, uh, it's courage to be counseling.com is my practice website. And the podcast is courage to be pod.com. Um, courage to be pod. Also, yeah. Um, and so and you can also find that on any streaming platform. But yes, yeah, so as far as my, my, my journey, I actually started off as a computer science major in my undergrad which was my fallback degree because I was going to go be a professional musician. Um, and I was taking some undergraduate classes in psych. I took a history of psychology course. The professor talked about how psychology started with Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And that was the start of, of our way of thinking. And that just kind of opened my mind. And, and so he was very philosophical um, and he kind of brought me into that way of thinking. And then I continued to take classes with this mentor uh, to the point where I had more psych courses than, than I had um, computer science courses, and I switched my major. Um, <laughs> so the, the thing that kind of drew me into it was that the reason I really enjoy music is connection. It's about, you know, music a lot of times is a place where we emotionally connect, um, yeah. and writing music can really resonate with people and, and can I help them move through difficult things? And that's what was appealing to me about it. Uh, and so counseling is just another way of doing something similar, except for I get to see the outcome instead of just putting it out into the universe. Uh, so I got my, my master's in 2010. I got my doctorate in 2015. Um, I have uh, been working as a counselor educator since 2015. Um, and then I started a private practice in 2016. And so I've been kind of mm -hmm. keeping all those lanes moving uh, for a few years yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, you know, it reminds me that um, I had the thought a long time ago that it would help every therapist if before you were a therapist, you were an astronaut or a poet or a dancer or a musician. I mean, doing mm -hmm. something like that, you know, very concrete, um, learning concrete skills in a, a total different area would make you a better therapist. And I think that's true for you, isn't it? I, you know, it is something that that it was certainly helpful for me. I believe Carl Jung used to actually not take on students until they were later in life and had already been successful in one career. I, mm -hmm. I, I've heard that. I don't know how accurate that is, but I, I've read that at one point. Um, so it's, okay. I, I think there might be something to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it wasn't an original thought for me. <laughs> Carl <laughs> Jung was thinking the same thing. Well, I so, don't think there's um, such a thing as an original thought, unfortunately. <laughs> you, you're probably mm -hmm. right. Um, so you work with a lot of trauma. Right, I do. You're an EMDR therapist and all of that. Yeah, I'm EMDR trained. I've gone through the certification process. I've just not sent in all the paperwork at this point. Um, and I do a fair amount of trauma work in my private practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you see dissociation all the time. I do, yes. Um, I Quite frankly, you walk out on the street and I think you just see, see dissociation all the time as well. So, yeah, I do see dissociation um, very frequently in, in my professional work and in my personal life, too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. So what would be your definition of dissociation? 
Sure. So the, the way that I explain it to, to clients is, is that, you know, we have, you know, our senses are always receiving information all the time. All of our senses are constantly bringing things into our awareness. And, and we have to have something that helps us determine um, what to pay attention to. And a lot of times I think that's emotional experience that tells us to pay attention to this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, we start to become overstimulated and overwhelmed. And when that happens, it moves us outside of that window of tolerance, which I imagine we're going to talk about. Um, and it becomes overly distressing, and we start to fragment off our experience. And so, to me, dissociation is this kind of fragmentation of our senses. Um, and so that instead of it all being kind of pulled together into one um, one experience, it gets fragmented off. Uh, and then I think too, if you look at like dissociative identity disorders and some of these other kind of things when we go further along into dissociation, they talk about, you know, you have integration versus dissociation. And so it's basically when we have experiences that are so distressing, overwhelming, uh, alarming, whatever, uh, that it gets to the point where we can't integrate it in the moment, we fragment that off and we, we take a step away from it, so to say. And so that's one of the ways that I describe dissociation. I don't know if that's, you know, so yeah, that's, that's how I would describe that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a different definition from the one I typically use, but I can see how they would work together. Well, I'm very curious. Yeah. Yeah. You, so, so I think of it as um, a disruption in consciousness. Okay. But that's kind of the same thing. Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, basically, con- you're feeling so, so overstimulated, so overwhelmed that it disrupts consciousness. I mean, integration is that ego self, right? It's that consolidation mm-hmm. of all components into the self. And so, when that becomes overly, when we become too overstimulated, too traumatized, too whatever, again, um, we we separate that out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering, Tracy, do you think this is going with kind of that freeze state in polyvagal terms that we've talked about? My guess is that it is related to that platform that behavior is an emergent property of what biobehavioral state you're in. So it seems to me, yes, if it gets overwhelming, you move into sympathetic dominance, which people call fight flight, or you can move into freeze, but normally what I think I'm seeing is people who get stuck with fight flight response and freeze response on, and then they just become literally frozen because if they move too much into the the dorsal vagal response or freeze response, it's very dangerous for humans because it can be deadly to mammals, especially humans, because our oxygen demands are so high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, in my experience, you, you know, when you get to the point of extreme dissociation, it can go into that real strong freeze response. That I think it probably is on a continuum in, in my experience of clients. Yeah. So, so what kind of behaviors are we talking about here? Oh, in terms of when folks are dissociating? Yeah. What do I we mean, do? So I, I think that we do all kinds of things. I think we can have, you know, that deep personalization and derealization. So that kind of, we become estranged from our bodies. We become disconnected to ourselves. Uh, mm-hmm. We become disconnected to our environment. Uh, time can start to shift and feel like we have those time distortions. Those things can occur. I think a lot of times with clients going numb is quite frequently something that clients to des- describe mm-hmm. or feeling detached, feeling um, just disconnected. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also think it can show up in physical forms, um, you know, somatization kind of things, body aches and pains. It can show up in all kinds of places. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a very wide ranging experience. Mm-hmm. And some people, some people dissociate in really obvious ways you can tell. And some people dissociate in ways you would never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about like getting lost and losing things, um, not remembering key, key pieces of information that I need. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Um, 
there are a lot of different things. And I think after we take a break, we'll, we'll go into some of these in, in a little more depth, um, mm-hmm. the kinds of behaviors or the kinds of issues. Tracy sees certain kinds of issues in his practice that are different from the ones we see in our practices that are probably all dissociative. Um, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. I, I think, honestly, and um, we probably exist on some level of a continuum of dissociation. It's just where in the dissociation continuum are we at any given moment? You know, we're, we're more connected or yeah. disconnected depending on, you know, what is happening in that moment. Yeah, the continuum. I'm so glad you said that. It's, it's yeah. like um, a, a line that stretches forever in all directions, right? So it it's not just about dissociation, but also being connected mm-hmm. um, would be on this this line, this continuum, and all states of consciousness would be on it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we get back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about what you might be noticing in yourself as well as in your clients when you or they are dissociating. So back in a moment. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. We're here talking with Dr. Chris Carver about dissociation. So we were talking about what exactly is dissociation? What does it look like? What are we doing when we do that? And you gave us the definition of the sort of fragmentation of sensory experience. Yeah, where there's there's this moment of we are overstimulated, we're receiving too much, and then we have to, the body kind of forces us to selectively attend to particular stimuli. Um, another example I give clients is if they, especially if they like superhero movies and things like that, the most recent iteration of Superman, the first movie with that actor, uh, there's a scene in that, if I'm recalling correctly, where he is like locked in a closet at school as a child and he's hearing all these voices and he, he's overwhelmed and he has to like come get his mother. His, the mother has to come to school to basically rescue him because uh-huh. he's overstimulated. And that to me is, is an example of we can sometimes be so overwhelmed that we just have to. That's, that's the moment when we start to fragment off is, is an example. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that example because it shows how our, dissoci- our dissociation can be helpful to us. Right. It's it's protective in a way, the way you're describing it. Yeah. And thank you. Um, Henry Cavill was the, the actor. That's we okay. got a note from, note from the editor on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. So, um, yeah, sometimes if you if you need to take a test, you have to screen out the noise in the hallway um, mm-hmm. so that you can focus on your test. And that would be a form of dissociation, a very deliberate form, perhaps. Well, absolutely. I mean, we, we, I, I do think we dissociate or we regulate our closeness to stimuli quite frequently. I, I think about like EMDR treatment, for example. Um, when we are doing that bilateral stimulation, we're instructing them, our clients, to, to visualize you know, the events as if it's on a screen or as if they're seeing it moving them on, uh, through the window of a moving train. We are helping our clients take a step back from the overload that may happen when they recall those traumatic events. And so we are kind of regulating a slight level of dissociation um, as we help them experience those emotions, work through those emotions, and then reintegrate and and sensitize as well, from my perspective. Right. So we're using our body's ability to dissociate to our advantage as we go back and reprocess some of the trauma memories. Absolutely. And I think at least that's my perspective. And I also think that as we are using that dual attention stimuli or bilateral stimulation, we're helping our clients regulate as well. So we are helping them regulate as they go through that emotional experience while also taking a step back from that experience, which is why it does not become so overstimulating and so overwhelming that they then move outside of that window of tolerance and dissociate. Right. They're not completely dissociated. They're there with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just so, mildly taking that one step back. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's go back to um, thoughts about what constitutes dissociative behavior or experience. And we, we started hinting at this earlier, but somatization, um, mm-hmm. um, Chris, I think you said somatization. Mm-hmm. This is yes. um, Tracy's world, right? So dealing dealing with pain and and dysfunction physical dysfunction. Right. A lot of people come to my practice because they're having what's called idiopathic pain, pain with no obvious cause, you know, and it's perplexing to my clients, but it almost goes back always in my experience goes back to some sort of emotional trauma. But, you know, Western society has been trained to believe that Pain is usually a simple cause and effect problem. Mm-hmm. So most of my clients expect me to help them as if I'm a mechanic working on a car. Mm-hmm. But in reality, you have to look at the emotional aspect. If only it were that simple, right? Right. You know, just, just go get that tune-up. Yeah. Yeah. If it, if, if it were only that simple, it would be wonderful, but it's mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Isn't it amazing so, to think that that we could translate extreme emotional distress into back pain? So, yeah, it, it's remarkable. I think these things have to come out somewhere. And if we don't allow ourselves to experience our emotional experience, then it has to go somewhere. It, so it shows up in a different place. Yeah. Uh, and we are so, especially culturally, so dis- disconnected at the shoulders. I mean, we are all up in our heads. We are not connected to the body and emotion lives in the body. And so we have to get below the shoulders to connect to that emotional experience. And we tend to run away from our emotional experience instead of embracing our emotional experience and the information it has to tell us. And so then it, then it shows up. It demands our attention. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. if we're not going to deal directly with it, or if we can't deal directly with it, then, Mm -hmm. then it might show up as an autoimmune disorder perhaps, or, or chronic pain, or limited yeah. mobility, something, something in the body that, that doesn't have a good explanation. Mm-hmm. And I think Eastern medicine is, uh, like Chinese medicine, has understood this for thousands of years. Yeah. Yes. And also, I think, you know, if you look at some of the kind of non-traditional ways of, of working with trauma, of doing things like yoga or different, different movement-based activities, getting out in nature, things like that, um, meditation work, um, you know, that's a different way of addressing some of these things. Absolutely. And you talked about people shying away from processing emotions or thinking about difficult things. I think the more disconnected 
you are from your body, the harder it is for you to sit with things that cause you discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. We are so disconnected from our emotional experience as, as a culture. Um, we tend to do everything we can to avoid feeling our emotions, experiencing our, mm-hmm. our reality, so to say. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I even noticed that a lot of times when I'm asking someone for an emotion, what's the emotion that goes with that? Or how do you feel? So often what I'll get is, well, I think, I think mm-hmm. it's this. Um, and, and I know that's a really common experience for therapists, but in one in which, you know, I'll often think, well, you know, you're, you're very disconnected from your emotion, but really, if someone asked me in that moment, how are you feeling? What's your emotion? I might not be any better able to say. It's just that I'm not being asked that as often. Absolutely. And as therapists, we tend to fall into that trope of asking our clients, you know, how does that make you feel, which has the opposite effect. We, we think we're going to enhance the emotional experience, but what we do is pull them out of emotion into cognition, You're which right. is why. Yeah. And so we, we start thinking about how we feel. And actually, that is a tool uh-huh. we can use to decrease the intensity of emotion. Just simply naming that emotion decreases mm-hmm. the intensity of feeling because we are pulling ourselves out of our emotional experience. And so when I'm working with clients, if I'm trying to get them to, to really feel those feelings, we go into like the somatic processing. If that emotion had a shape, what shape would it be? What color would it be? You know, those sorts of non-conventional ways of uh-huh. speaking about experience to get them to really feel and go into the body uh, what that experience is like. Wow. Rather than pop back out to the cognitive and say, I feel sad, because then you're naming it and you're, you're being a bit cognitive about this feeling you're having in your body. Absolutely. And if we name it, okay, we can step back. I feel sad. Okay. So where do you notice the sadness in the body? Mm-hmm. If that sadness had a color, what color would it be? If it had mm-hmm. a shape, texture, and so on, right? Just to really get mm-hmm. the clients to fully be in that experience because, you know, one of the, the techniques or, or theoretical approaches that really influenced my work is emotion-focused therapy by Leslie Greenberg. And one of his sayings is you have to feel it to heal it. Um, and also you cannot leave someplace until you arrive there. And so with clients and with ourselves too, if we're running away from those emotional experiences, we're never going to stop hurting. We have to see what it has to teach us. We have to go there. We have to sit with it. We have to work our way through it and come out the other side. Yeah. So, so I want to, um, share a partial list. The, this is what I came up with the other day when I was thinking about what is dissociative. Um, addictions are the first thing that I thought of. So like any kind of addiction, whether it's a substance or an activity like TV mm-hmm. watching, for instance, or shopping, um, shame would be dissociative. And I get that from Sandra Paulson, who um, talks about, well, she trains EMDR therapists mm-hmm. and she talks about very early experience, the, the infant's experience um, of dissociation. And mm-hmm. so she, she and others in her circle name shame as a dissociative experience, which I think is really interesting. Body that checking. That makes sense to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, because mm-hmm. shame in the moment um, is taking you back to some place, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a flashback. Well, it's also that that script that we carry from those those primary attachment figures of you're no good, you're unlovable, you're unworthy, all those sorts yeah. of things that we then incorporate into our experience, which exactly. pulls us out. Yeah. Yeah. Pulls us out of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so shame, body checking and, and body dysmorphia, I put on this mm-hmm. list. Panic. So a panic attack as a, as a dissociative experience. Phobias. Mm-hmm. Confusion, which might surprise a lot of our listeners. Um, I listen for confusion when, when my clients say I'm confused. That's a cue to me that there's some level of trancing out that's happening right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, blanking out, going blank. I've had that happen in the, in the middle of a presentation or lecture <laughs> or piano mm-hmm. recital, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> getting lost or losing things. I mentioned that earlier um, one time. After, after I hadn't lived here very long, but my mother came to visit and I was, 
um, naturally altered. I was in an altered state because she was here and I was Mm going to take her to Target or something. And we got in the car and I could not find Target. I mean, I was lost. And I thought, this is Mm -hmm. crazy. I'm driving around and around, probably Mm -hmm. all around Target, not finding it. Um, Obsessive thoughts, Mm, getting getting an obsessive thought that we can't let go of. Um, Compulsive behaviors, like cutting. Um, A constant need for entertainment or, or sounds or TV. Numbness, including sexual numbness, feeling unreal, feeling dead or like um, like I shouldn't be alive. Mm-hmm. I hear that a lot. Yeah, th- that all tracks with, with experiences that I've had with, with clients as well and some of the ways that they describe them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And had you thought of rage as dissociative? I have not thought of rage as dissociative. Yeah, that is not something that, that I thought of, but it makes some sense. I think it is dissociative, and I think that it is the reason why people um, think that anger is such a problem, because they're thinking about somebody who raged, and rage is a is a very disconnected kind of experience where you know you're mm-hmm. you're doing something or saying something that you would not normally if you were present. Yeah, well, I mean, it's trying to to elicit some kind of a a response, right? I mean. The adaptive function of anger, from my understanding, is to set boundaries. Um, it's you feel mm-hmm. violated, you feel like somebody has harmed you in some way, and you need to say, this is where you start and stop and where I start and stop and back up, right? right. And so when, we, when that is not met, we may escalate even further into rage, uh, and it becomes you know, maladaptive at, at that point um, because it's not serving the function we would want it to serve of boundary setting. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But it may be too threatening to do the boundary setting to, to say I'm angry. That may be really just way too scary. Um, mm-hmm. So we either dissociate by stuffing it away or by exploding and, and doing something completely out of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, I, can, I can see the logic behind that. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, how do we recognize in ourselves and in our clients when dissociation is helpful and when it's not helpful? So what I tell clients is things aren't a problem until they're a problem, right? And so and if you look through the DSM and you go through the diagnostic criteria, one of them in the vast majority of disorders um, is that it causes clinically significant distress. And so the dissociation is not a problem until it becomes a problem. Like, what is the function of the dissociation? And, and really sitting with clients and helping them understand how is this helping you and how is this harming you? And, and what, what is that function? Um, to, to my mind, that is one of those markers of when is it useful and when is it not, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, this, the dissociation serves an adaptive function. It serves the ability of pulling a part of ourselves away so we can get through an event that is overwhelming, overstimulating, traumatic, um, and so that is an adaptive function, but when we get stuck in it, uh, I think is when it becomes more maladaptive or less functional. You know, if you cannot connect because you're so dissociated, you cannot mm-hmm. feel love because it's too threatening, then that mm-hmm. is not adaptive. But if okay. you're getting screamed at and you have to take a step back, then that serves a function. Okay. So the question is always, is it functional? Is it helping you? Is it serving you? It's always contextual. Yeah. Well, what is the function of this? Because it, we, we, just, we develop the ability to dissociate. Yeah. So it serves a function. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after our next break, let's talk a little bit more about how we as clinicians find ourselves in trance. Sure. Okay? Sounds great. Yeah. All right. We'll be back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. 
Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are, at home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. We are here with Dr. Chris Carver, and we're talking about dissociation and trance. And I want to kind of think about what we notice in ourselves. So we're all clinicians how do we experience ourselves going into trance or dissociating? I know for me, there's a tendency to get sleepy and it's very predictable with certain clients. I get sleepy, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also, you know, hanging out with certain relatives. There's a sleepiness <laughs> that overtakes me. And, and it's not just the turkey. No, because I don't eat the turkey. <laughs> it's, it's the people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've become completely useless. I'm disconnected from everything. It's interesting how dissociation shows up, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. So I've got a couple fun dissociation stories of my own kind of path of discovering how I dissociate because it's not something that, you know, earlier in my career that I really thought of. Um, and I actually, one time, with my ex-wife got into an argument, we went to the Holocaust Museum. And we, you know, if you've been to the Holocaust Museum, there's a right at the end, there's this kind of reel of people talking about their experiences. And it is really upsetting. I mean, it causes a strong emotional response. And the the it was really interesting because we we went through that and uh, I kind of did the thing that I do in clinical sessions where I kind of just took a step back. Like and I always thought of it as you know, you can be really emotionally and empathically engaged. And then at some point, you can also take a step back and have that kind of clinical detachment that happens. Uh And you can kind of step between emotional engagement and clinical detachment. And that Mm -hmm. occurred in that moment. And I'm like, oh, this is just, you know, I'm a a well-trained clinician. That arrogance was missing (laughs) the point that, no, I was dissociating is what I was doing. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. And so, and I didn't realize that until I was actually in a, in a session later as a client and had a therapist who was very empathically attuned, move too close to me. Like they were in a wheelie chair actually, and they kind of slid closer to me. And I actually went outside of my body in that moment because I could not handle the empathy. Like I felt like I was behind me by about 10 feet and I'm like, Oh, what just happened? Right. And that was the start of okay, this detachment thing that I have happened is actually me dissociating. And, and that was kind of the start of me understanding how I dissociate. So for me, I go numb. Uh-huh. I sometimes have that kind of outside the body perspective where it feels like I'm about three mm-hmm. feet behind me or you know, 10 feet in that instance. So those are some of the things for me that tell me I'm stepping away. Yeah, yeah. And that's very interesting how you put that. You could not handle the empathy. It got too close. Mm-hmm. And so you had to you had to flee, you had to flee your body. And, yeah, was, and 
it, it uh, sections of what's helpful for you or what you recognize as what's helpful in your practice. Like you were saying, when you saw those reels at the end of the Holocaust Museum, your first inclination was to say, you know, that's my training as a clinician. So it does come in handy or helpful in your practice. But in that moment, it was just pure dissociation. Absolutely. And and it was funny because, like I said, we kind of an argument because it's like, I'm like, oh, I'm just this. And she, she had a very negative reaction to that. But it was like, you know, I was dissociated. I was just not aware of my own trauma response, quite frankly. Right. Yeah. It's amazing I, how we're always learning. I've done that one before, the one you described at the Holocaust Museum um, at, at my grandfather's funeral, mm. where everyone was crying. And I, I was not. And I was walking around just feeling very detached. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> my sister said, what's wrong with you? And I, I felt fine. I, I just felt like this is a bizarre situation. Um, and I see that everyone is crying and really upset. And for some reason, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we bring the judge to moments like that. The judge? What it, yeah. What is wrong with me that I'm not the same? What is wrong with me? You know, at least quite often we do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Tracy, what about you? How do you dissociate? So in my practice, it's a common thing for me to kind of move out of the moment in order to gather information or process information, which is, I find very helpful. Um, But most of my life, if a, a thought that causes me discomfort comes into my viewfinder, I, I usually will shake. I'll do some kind of movement. It reminds me of what my cat does when he comes in, he shakes his paws. (laughs) So I'll shake and then I'll try to quickly distance myself from that thought, which I assume Mm. is dissociative behavior. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the thing I've... Yeah, get away from this thing that's causing me distress. Yes. And the thing I've found most helpful as far as being more resilient and sitting with things that cause me distress is movement training. So the better map I have in my brain of my own body, the more resilient I am and the better able I am to get these dissociative processes to be reduced. And I thought it was very interesting that you say some of your patient clients get stuck in dissociative mm-hmm. behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be really hard to, to move out of that because a lot of times the things they need to do to move out of it, work, the result of that is dissociation. And so they need some assistance in kind of navigating through that to be able to find ways to ground, find ways to connect to themselves or to others, um, and kind of regulate the distress that's caused to the point that they can then move through the things that are causing them to have to take that step back, so to say. So what does that look like, getting stuck? Getting stuck in a dissociative state? Well, I think it's just those repetitive patterns of disconnection, right? I mean, as I think about it, you know, dissociation, like some of the readings I've been doing, it talk about integration and dissociation as on this continuum. But I I think a lot of times dissociation is disconnection. And and Mm -hmm. the the remedy for that is connection, whether that's connection to the self or connection to, to others, Right. Mm-hmm. And so whenever they when clients get stuck at association, they're they're stuck in this pattern of detachment. They're stuck in this pattern of disengagement. Um, they are, you know, they're being very reactive, for example, because they drop out of that prefrontal cortex into their into their nervous systems and they're they, they are being reactive and then they dissociate. They they have they they overstimulate, they step away. Right. And so it's this pattern of behavior that it's just very biggest stuck in that pattern of behavior. And it can show up in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I had a student once who um, woke up in another state. Uh, So so that was like the most extreme version Mm -hmm. of the trance that I had ever witnessed. Like she couldn't make it to research team (laughs) because she was in, Mm -hmm. you know, Alabama or something. Um, And and that I see that as you know, an extreme 
at mm-hmm. kind of at one end of the spectrum. Um, whereas, you know, as we were talking earlier about just normal um, zoning out or just normal focusing on my test right here and not what I hear in the hallway, you know, that's mm-hmm. at the other end. So, so I guess um, when we find ourselves dissociating in ways that aren't helpful for us, whether mm-hmm. that's feeling groggy or, or feeling body shame, you know, body dysmorphia, being preoccupied with the, you know, how our clothes are fitting and what we're looking like in the mirror um, or, or getting caught in kind of a flashback where we're hearing all of those words like you're not lovable, you're not attractive, you're not worthy. What, what can we do to bring ourselves back from that? So, to, to my mind, again, you know, that connection piece is so critical and so important. Um, and so what are we connecting to? Um, over the last few years, I've been doing a lot more study and work on spiritual practice and the integration of spiritual practice and, and mental health work. That's what my podcast mm-hmm. is on with a colleague of mine. Um, and, you know, so that, that mindfulness component can be very helpful to a point. But I think if we engage in that too much, it can actually increase dissociation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's trance states, which, you know, through meditative practice, they can be forms of dissociation, but then also we can do, you know, like metta or loving kindness meditation that can connect us to others. Mm-hmm. And so kind of finding ways to connect to, to the body, to the self through yoga, through exercise, through, through, uh, you know, different activities like that, um, you know, for me, I connect to the self very much in kind of even enter into a flow type state when I play drums quite often. And so for me, that's really fully connected um, in the moment. Um, You know, so creative processes can be very helpful in connecting us. You know, the two of you read Mm -hmm. poetry. I think that's another, like you said, that's a great way to to, to manage dissociation Uh is by that creative process. Mm -hmm. Um, I think um, getting out of nature, especially if you are getting out of nature in a way where you feel a part of nature, and yeah. you feel like it's an extension of, you know, you're a part of something bigger than the self. Um, yeah. I think those can all be very helpful in navigating through some of those dissociative states. I do too. And some of those things remind me of times when I am very fully present. Um, I'm, I'm really here when I am laughing, when I'm very tickled about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I just feel my whole body when I'm laughing, when I'm actually really amused, not faking it. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. That, that really being in that moment, like being fully engaged uh-huh. in that moment, if we can do that, 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 that helps. And so, I mean, you could also get more concrete in terms of like noticing your feet on the floor, noticing, you know, going and doing, doing a body scan, identifying the things that let you know you are safe in the moment, let you know you are okay. Mm-hmm. You know, through meditation practice, we can see that I can have distress in the body and also have okayness in the body at the same time and choose mm-hmm. what I attend to, right? And that can help us learn to regulate and reconnect, Um yeah, yeah, there's and laughter. I, I think that's great. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, comedy. I mean, you have to be engaged if you're going to be yeah. tickled by something, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so dancing for you it, is that a time when you're really, really present, Tracy? Yes. So the dance I do is is West Coast Swing, and that's where the movement of the leader and follower, the leader is just making suggestions. So if the follower does what I suggest, then I I can, you know, stay on track. But a lot of times a partner does something surprising. So with that dance, especially, you have to be in the moment. And I think that's why I love it so much. Well, absolutely. You have to be fully engaged with your partner. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I see so many people doing self-imposed dissociative behaviors. Like when people go out, I see people at the conservation center walking through the forest with headphones on, listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a self-imposed dissociative behavior. Really? Exactly. So really only do that if you're listening to this podcast or Courage to Be, right? Yeah, Other exactly. That, <laughs> that's <laughs> I had never considered that as a dissociation before, before last week when you said something about it. And then I took a walk on Sunday, not listening to music, which I normally am. 
and I figured out that 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 typical having having you know 80s dance music going in my ears is dissociative it's it's keeping me from hearing all the sounds in my environment absolutely and this is going to be kind of an aside but I recently purchased a motorcycle and have been in riding that and the reason I I enjoy so much is because it forces you to be fully present because if you don't mm-hmm. you might die right, right. So you're, you're, you're not listening to music you don't have your gps out it is a mindful experience and i also heard it described yeah. as you're kind of going without a frame so you are fully immersed in the environment instead of being detached through being in a car um and so mm. yeah it's 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 really interesting just the difference of like how engaged you are even in a practice like that that requires your full attention I wonder if that's why I love riding my bike so much. I wonder, yeah. <laughs> We've got cycle therapy now. Right. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Because you're, you're in the wind. You're feeling, I don't know, bugs hitting your I love it. Face. Instead of psychotherapy, we have cycle therapy. Cycle I like therapy. that. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it described as mindfulness in motion is the way that mm-hmm. I've heard it described before, which I thought mm-hmm. was had some, some poetry to it. Mm-hmm. So therapists need, a. Uh, let's see if we can give people a takeaway here because we're just about out of time. And I, I want to make sure that our, our listeners who are helpers can take away something really mm-hmm. concrete to help them stay in the moment. It sounds like engaging the senses. Absolutely. Ground yourself, engage in the senses, do something creative, move the body, um, and show yourself some compassion. I would mm-hmm. say those are all things that are pretty important. Mm-hmm. That's a radical idea, that last one. Show yourself some compassion. <laughs> uh-huh. Really, mm-hmm. really is. Yeah. If people could do that, we wouldn't have jobs. I know. That could be very grounding. It so, could. <laughs> <laughs> okay. like, like, hold, hold, like hold the heart and show yourself compassion. Okay. All right. Yeah. I love I it. I love that. Write to us, dear listeners at reconceivetherapy uh, at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.